Hello and welcome to San Diego Magazine's Happy Half Hour. This is our fun little food and drink focused program. Uh, I'm one third of your party hosts for this week, uh, David Martin. Uh, happy to be here and uh, with me always, Mr. Troy Johnson. Everybody, it's not so fun this week because San Diego restaurants are shut in for or shut for dining. We're going to get to that in just a second. I'm feeling a little bit depressed again. You know, this is like it goes in waves. You know, my serotonin is very low, but I'll try to keep it up for this bucket. <laughs> <laughs> I I know how you feel. <laughs> I I'm, I'm went got to eat it once and now I'm missing it. But it's like we got to do it for what's best for everyone. But uh, and also with us we have Marie. Hey, what's up, everybody? Hope everybody had a good Fourth of July and stayed safe. Likewise, likewise. Murray is one of our editors at the magazine and absolute joy. And uh, this week we have an extra special guest. I'm super, super excited that we have uh, Tim Mays from the Casbah with us, as well as 5,000 other awesome places in San Diego. Tim, thank you for joining us. Oh, happy to be here. Uh, spread the word on what my perspective is and see what everybody else has to say. Yeah, Tim Mays was basically my RA in the dorms at the Casbah. I would say like my first professional job was to write about music and Tim had the best music in town. So I'd show up at his door every single night and it was like, it was, it was just like being in the dorms and Tim would be like, Troy, don't do that. Okay. All right. right, right. <laughs> yeah. You were, you, were, I, you were there a lot. Those were, those were the roots of your, your, what you're doing now, you know, that man. What, a, what, a, I, what a great place. You, you did well for yourself, Troy. Thank you, brother. I went through my uh, large collection of uh, concert tickets and tr tried to find all the Casbah ones. Uh, actually, before doing this, I think I found 95 of them. Wow. So, so that was a decent amount for only being here for like 10 years. That's a... It's an all right number. <laughs> and for all you listeners out there, Tim has been involved in the restaurant scene too for a, quite a while. He went from music, um, the best punk club in San Diego and quite possibly the planet, to into food as well. So he will give us perspective on the restaurant scene as well. But man, Casbah is that, the best. Definitely. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of run through some news and notes around town. Unfortunately, they're not as uh, happy-go-lucky as they once were. Uh, then we're going to basically chat with Tim, and then go through our little segment known as Two People for Takeout. So, Marie, we all know what the big news is, but so at the time of this recording, uh, Wednesday, uh, restaurants have been shut down again. Exactly, and it's at least for three weeks, and an article in the UT San Diego says that the ban affects 4,000 restaurants in the entire county. And this is the trend nationwide. Uh, New York City, in fact, they have said that outdoor, not outdoor, indoor dining is banned indefinitely. Uh, one um, innovative thing that has come out of this, if you want to call it innovative, uh, our mayor, Kevin Faulkner, he got rid of all of the red tape that a restaurant would normally have to deal with if they want to build a patio or have tables on the sidewalk outside of their restaurant. So restaurants, uh, you don't need a permit anymore to do this. And some restaurants that don't have patios, they've really been getting creative. Um, Giardino and Lemon Grove, they said that they're putting fake grass and tables with umbrellas in their parking lot and just creating, creating a new lawn. So that, that's where we're at. We can expect that for a minimum of three more weeks, uh, there will be no indoor dining. Have they, has the ABC re relaxed the rules on getting the permit? I know they relaxed them quite a bit to get an alcohol permit for expanded premises, but have they now said you don't need a permit at all to do this? Do you know anything about that part of it? You mean if they, they didn't have an ABC license before, they can just go ahead and no, sell it? No, 
No, correct. Like at Krakatoa, we've got an ABC, we've got a beer and wine license. And uh, we were, we're planning an event in our parking lot. We're going to do a record swap. So we applied for an ABC license to expand our premises to include the parking lot. Now with this relaxed permitting or lack of permitting required for serving on patios, are you able to expand your ABC license if you have one already to include that patio area, even though it wasn't licensed before? I would imagine so, because I know that that's a case up in Carlsbad, which is obviously a different precinct than, than what you're talking about in Golden Hill. But Carlsbad has been so minimal to, um, to Juna Jerli, who has their right. entire so restaurant that. outside. Yeah, and they, they, they basically let them have all their alcohol outside. You know, they, they extended that liquor license. I would imagine that the city is going to do the same. I don't have any hard information for you right now, but I would imagine if I were the city, I mean, I would just be like, I don't care. You know, like, it, like you can go into the streets, yeah. let it be Vegas and let it be, um, you know, um, New Orleans for a little while. You know, as long as you're not like just wandering down the street with alcohol. Right, you know, what, right. what are you hearing? I mean, I, I, what are you, are you, well, you know, I know the state, unfortunately, ABC is a state agency, not a city right. or county agency. So there could be some uh, differences there in the process. We, we applied for the, the expanded ABC license for our parking lot, and it only took like three days to get it. So the right. process was already very streamlined compared to what it would have been, you know, six months ago. Yeah. And so I'm just wondering if they, maybe they've coordinated with the state to allow that to happen without any kind of permit process at all, which would be really great. And we saw how quickly they adapted their rules to uh, selling takeout. You yeah, know, alcohol. I mean, the ABC just overnight went. Okay, I mean, you, ABC is not an overnight story. <laughs> well, trust me, I, I know that. <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden they just said, "All right, you know what? You can sell booze to go." You know, I mean, which is just it, it's necessary to. I mean, oh, thank God we're seeing a little bit of the red tape just evaporate during this for restaurants because you have to. You have to be able to adapt on the dime, which state government agencies are not renowned for. You know, they are the turtle in every single race. You know, but it, it hopefully, like Tim's saying, the, the ABC will just say, you know what, absolutely extend it 50, 60, 70 yards. If you've got a liquor license, you've got it for all around your building. Right. We shall see. I know. We shall see. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, that, Tim, um, is, you know, how do you feel about indoor dining? I mean, just you personally, I mean, this affects your business, your, a couple of your businesses, actually, because you're with Starlight as well. You know, right. and, and so how are, are you as an owner? Are you just understanding of like, look, we're in a pandemic. Are you like, man, this is just it's killing us too much. We're well, you know, I I have said with all my businesses that I won't don't want to open up till I would feel comfortable going to whether it's Krakatoa or Starlight or the Casbah. Um, with with Krakatoa, we were able to stay open the entire time. Uh, starting with just takeout in, in mid-March. And then when they opened up for outdoor dining, we've got our patio. We added indoor dining about a week ago. Very few takers on that. Nobody wanted to sit indoors. And of course, now we're not offering that at all. Starlight, the, the economics of running Starlight are so much different than running Krakatoa Coffee Shop right. that we've been, you know, wanting to kind of, we've just been doing takeout for about three, three or four weeks there now. We, we took our time. We, we don't want to be a guinea pig. Uh, the, the experience of dining at Starlight is a very unique one, uh, yeah, not yeah, only yeah. with the food, but the decor and the, the ambiance and everything. And so when we are able to open up there, we want to make sure that 
the dining experience is, is something that people have come to know there. And so we've been working on various ways to implement safe dining practices in there. And when people see what we're doing, they're going to be shocked and surprised because we're putting some really cool stuff together as far as keeping distancing and separating tables and stuff. But, you know, obviously now that's all on the back burner. So we're going to continue doing takeout, you know, as, as long as we have to. And we will step into the water of dining in gingerly. Okay. Now, everything is safe and people feel comfortable and they come to get the experience that they're used to getting there. You know, I mean, you, you see it in here about places throwing up the plastic shower curtains to separate tables or, mm-hmm. or just pieces of clear, cheap plexiglass and stuff like that, which, you know, may or may not achieve the, the desired purpose. But, uh, um, you know, we're trying to do something in keeping with what we do there. And it, for people who haven't been into Starlight, Starlight is one of my favorite places in San Diego because it feels like, you know, hey, it's in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, and if you walk in, it's kind of like eating in Space Mountain as, if, as imagined by Dwell Magazine. It's got this cool <laughs> architecture, art, but it's so dark in there. And it's like this, this little oasis of mood light and everything else. And obviously great cocktails, a sunken bar and everything. So I totally understand like part of your experience and your what you bring to San Diego is that experience that you, know, you don't want to just throw up 20 shower curtains and just you know it kind of just takes out the soul of it all I would usually wait for the interview part of this segment but I think it's apropos now that you said you're doing some innovative things what are you doing in that space I mean can you tell us some of the stuff well we're, we're creating some very unique um, dividing partition type things in keeping with the design of the actual restaurant that will be, you know, they won't feel like somebody just plopped down a piece of plexiglass. Yeah. I don't want to give away too much because I have the wow factor. When I saw one of the finished products a couple of weeks ago, I was blown away. And so the wow factor of it is something we want to surprise people with and in nice. a pleasant way. And, and I think, like I said, people are going to be just like, Whoa, that's really cool. Cause that's what I thought when I saw it. So, all right, fine. Well, I'm going to call bullshit on that, Tim. I'm going to call a lot of bullshit on that, but I, I, I'm also going to respect it immensely. Yes. <laughs> so, Marie, what is going on with Il Dandy? So, Il Dandy, that is the fancy Italian restaurant that opened in the Mr. A's building in Bankers Hill last year. Uh, it's the same owners that own um, Chivico in Little Italy. So, the Il Dandy concept is uh, no, no more. So it, oh, the menu and wow. what they're serving and the style is going to be more casual, kind of reflecting the original place in Little Italy. So they're going to have uh, the handmade pastas, um, some vegan items that they're known for. And one new thing that they're going to focus on is called uh, pinza. It's a style of pizza and bread making that's very ancient. It actually uh, dates back to the Roman Empire. And Troy, can you explain how this is different from the Neapolitan style pizza that most Americans are familiar with. Yeah, the the most the biggest difference between pizza, P-I-N-S-A, and pizza and pizza is the dough. A lot of times they'll use um, rice um, flour and a little bit of soy and, and with a tiny bit of wheat. 
So there's a lot of like grains, ancient and easier to digest grains, you know. So whereas, you know, regular pizza with a full full on gluten, double, double zero, you know, can be a little hard on people, you know. But with you with rice flour and with soy, it really doesn't have that heaviness and it doesn't have the gluten content that, you know, regular wheat would have. And so it rises to about a medium crust, almost like a um, close to deep dish, you know, kind of puffs up, but it's a really, really good crust and it feels lighter. Um, you know, it, when you eat it, it's almost like eating the sushi equivalent of pizza. Do you know when you eat sushi, you can eat 50 pieces and still not feel like you're overly stuffed? You know, that's how it feels with, with pizza. You know, it's just a lighter, you know, but really satisfying version of, of pizza. Question for you, Marie, is that, does that mean that the, um, our Mission Star chefs, their partners are gone too? Um, it's, it's the same ownership. So that I don't know if they've switched uh, the chefs out, but um, okay. I, I think just a, a high end concept and, you know, Amara, the um, chef's table that they had yeah. inside the restaurant, it's probably, I would imagine not going to work during this time. And it's probably not, not feasible considering that so many people's incomes ha have been hit. You know, yeah. who's going to pay $300 for a tasting menu right now? Right. Well, you know, this is a really big loss for San Diego. I know that um, Dario de Gallo brothers and um, the family that's, that's done Chivico and then they put Il Dandy in. They invested a lot of money into the design of that place and the build out. It's in the same building as Mr. A's on the ground floor. You know, they had art. You know, they commissioned artists for every single aspect of the room. They were so proud of this as this big, beautiful, modern, kind of like Apple store meets the Louvre Museum. You know, I, it was it, it was a really, they really invested in that community. And, you know, they brought in, partnered with two um, Michelin star chefs from, um, from Calabria, you know, and brought them over to design the menu and they were going back and forth. I mean, this is a really big, big opening and they invested a lot and it's really terrible to see them you know, have to shift gears on that. Hopefully, they'll be able to make it in a more, you know, like casual um, way, you know, but man, it was, it was really big news, you know, and it felt like San Diego was kind of, you know, taking another step, you know, before this all happened by bringing these chefs over and there was these two local guys from Little Italy, you know, they were really doing it. And, you know, this is the kind of loss that we're seeing right now, which I think it's, it's, it's really sad. How, how do you feel about it, Tim? You know what? Um, yeah, it's, I think it's going to happen more more frequently in the next yeah. couple months because, um, you know, it, it, who knows when people will be able to open. Operating at, at half capacity or, or whatever capacity people can operate at is, you know, as you know, the restaurant industry, the margins are so slim. you got to operate at full capacity, you know, five nights a week just yeah. to uh, cover everything. So the mandates that are going to be in place when people are able to open are going to make it really difficult um, then you've got the additional factor of, you know, hiring people back on staff who have been on unemployment and are getting that extra $600 a week, uh, yeah, that yeah. you know, on top of the state benefit. So, you know, certain places, uh, I've got a couple of employees at, at Krakatoa who, you know, we wanted to, uh, somebody's taking time off and we needed to bring, add more shifts to them. And, you know, they're, they're like, well, I'm, I can't because I'm making this unemployment. It's like, well, you got to look long term because that's going to expire at some point. But right now, you know, we're seeing a lot of people making way more money than they were uh, before, especially the minimum wage workers who aren't tipped. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, so, yeah, I think, you know, it's weird that, you know, the restaurant industry in San Diego over the last few years, um, the amounts of money that people spend opening places, you know, just mm – -hmm dwarfs what we spent on on uh, starlight 
12 years ago. I mean, it's like we're Pluto and here's Saturn up here, you know? um, So the amounts of money and and particularly any restaurants that open recently and then get hit with this double, well, first the the whole shutdown, then this double whammy of, you know, shut down again. Mm -hmm. Um, Man, it's gotta be really tough. I, I can't imagine being in that situation. You know, in this, you bring up an interesting point, and Dave and Marie chime in here too. We've talked about this for the last, even a couple of years. The amount of money that was going into these build-outs was nuts. Was it seemed to me to be unsustainable? Well, while we got some amazing decor out of it, and we got some amazing experiences, you look at anything that Consortium Holdings did, like you know, Born and Raised, which cost them seven point five million dollars. You know, Anime, which is beautiful, and Brian Malarkey. I mean, that cost them another five million dollars. I mean, these are beautiful, beautiful restaurants, but because of the the economics that you need to make work which are delicate and that is a understatement you know delicate in the restaurant industry you know i I just wondered if people are going to be able to make that back and i think we might see a return to a little bit more cautious you know um a little bit more understated a little more casual restaurant restaurantification if you would well then also with like the average amount that people are spending at a table now, like with, especially with Il Dandy, like, are they going to be able to sustain that with, you know, an average check going from like $300 to changing to a hundred? It's like, you need to have so much more turnover. And it's like with the minimal seating, it's like, it's just seems scary, even scarier. And then on top of that, the chart, the, the prices that most restaurants charge are actually undervalued what the food costs by far. You know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you're afraid to raise the prices to reflect what the actual food and labor costs are because, you know, then people are going to be like, wow, I can't afford to go have that burger or, or what, what have you, you know? So, um, I, I don't know how, what the, what the solution is to that, but I think coming out of this restaurants that do survive are going to have to kind of try and charge what the actual food costs are and, and make that you know, make people aware of that. I think some people are becoming aware of that who are being able to go to restaurants that they've used frequented for, you know, months or years prior to this. So that's a whole nother side of the coin, just getting people used to paying what the actual costs are. Yeah. I mean, food has been underpriced on menus for a long time and that's why the bar was meant to float them, you know, you know, the bar really is, the bar is the, brings home the bacon. You know, the bar is that person in a marriage that, you know, has a really well-paying job and the other one is in the nonprofit sector. You know, that's the food. You know, the other one is doing God's work, you know, and is creating yes. a great experience for improving humanity. And the bar's like, okay, well, I'll, I'll go to work and pay for a kid's tuition, you know? <laughs> so what is going on in Liberty Public Market Looks like there's some closures, some openings. Oh, uh, the closures were actually uh, before the pandemic. Uh, They did have a couple of big ones. Well, this was a while ago, but El Jardin, as you guys know, and that concept totally changed. And then um, Fireside at the patio, that closed also. But um, there are new openings happening within the market and in that old restaurant space. Uh, The guys who own uh, Mastiff Sausage, they're opening a new Nashville hot chicken and burger concept and Philip Esteban who we just had on the show last week but he didn't want to tell us because he hadn't signed the lease yet (laughs) Um, he's opening a brick and mortar spot at the market for uh, the Filipino 
uh, lechon rice bowls, which is really cool. Yeah. And over at um, where the fireside was, uh, the Presley is going to open uh, later this month. And it's the same company that owns Blind Burrow and Bubs at the ballpark. So they're going to have uh, just this whole outdoor dining space. And I checked in with uh, the owners of the market and they added hundreds of tables and chairs throughout the space. So that market is just kind of built for takeout. You can go in socially distance and then just take everything outside and they have they have so much land there. And I was thinking how um, it's really to their advantage versus a place like Grand Central Market in Los Angeles. I was just thinking, um, what, what are those vendors doing? Because all of their seating is inside of the market. And I don't know if they can expand out into the street. So that, that, that's some good news that there are new things opening at the market and there's some movement there. That is, well, and that's the kind of place, and because it's Liberty Public Station, what part of it's, uh, downfall when it first opened up was that way too much open space and it looked dead and you know it was this ghost town for a while and just big big promenades unused yeah. you know but now that plays perfectly for vendors at the market if they they limit the amount of people that go into that market and if you've never been to liberty public market you know there's i forget 24 vendors or, or how many, i forget how many vendors but they're you know it's it's basically our you know um ferry building it's our you know but a little bit more grassroots you know there's different places with empanadas and you know um and desserts and you know uh, mexican food and a butcher and seafood and oysters everything else you know and if you let just the right amount of people in there they can socially distance and then take it directly outside and you've got tons of space you know, to be able to eat. And that's a great way for people to actually help a local business, you know, and then get socially distanced and get the hell out of your freaking house, yep. you know, and, and eat out in a way that you're like, okay, I feel good, you know, because they've shown the transmission rate on this. And I'm no virologist, I just need to say that transmission rate outside is nowhere near what it is inside, you know, so if you can take that directly outside and eat, I think that's that Liberty Public Market could actually expand that space, mm -hmm. even use the promenade or like one of those big open courtyards to like have, you know, a Krakatoa out outpost, you know, like, uh, which is just a table, whatever it is. I don't know if that right, helps right. you, them, you know, but I mean, a lot help, of room, lot of room. Help, help local places that be like, we can sell a ton of your food here as a catering operation. We have this ton of big outdoor space and that helps the original restaurant. I don't know if that works. Tim, does that work or not? I don't know. We've got too many, too many balls juggling in the air right now to think about setting up an outpost, but uh, it's not a bad idea in the future. If, and if, which brings me to another thing. I'm wondering how all these regulations will stack up once this is over, you know, the pandemic being, uh, or, or, or under control. Will the, the regulations that they've relaxed be allowed to continue? You know, it, much like people working from home, you know, so many companies were like, well, uh, we can't do that. You know, you know, no accountability. You know, you're going to be goofing off half the day. And now companies are finding out that, yes, indeed, you can work from home and they can save on their their infrastructure expenses, such as rent and and all that kind of thing. So I'm hoping that some of these, especially these ABC takeout regulations may may morph into, oh, OK, that's OK. It didn't go out of control. Let's continue this. And that's just like with, you know, opening places in, say, those big grassy lawns there at, at uh, Liberty Market. You know, that there's so much space there. 
Yeah, I, I hope I hope this does have long-lasting effects. I hope that the um, alcohol to go, I think that, that that could could stay. And even just expanding the liquor licenses to the streets and expanding the restaurant footprint to the streets. I would right. love to see, I live in, in Ocean Beach. I would love to see Newport Avenue shut down to all traffic, to be quite honest with you. I would love to see yeah. all of those businesses. I would just make it a promenade, make it where people could walk down that street. You know, parking, you can get on like Santa Monica or away. And if you can't get parking, well, then maybe that's the max amount of people that get, that can come in that you know yeah. I mean? yeah. that's okay because then the the um, local businesses would probably still do really really well it'd be much more lively we'd get a lot more of these walking spaces instead of you know traffic every single place Encinitas is doing it we saw a little Italy do it I'd love to see some of these places just continue and direct traffic elsewhere of course that means they're gonna be directing traffic past you know Susie's house you know and, and or you know Aunt, Aunt Charlie is gonna be like oh you know, Uncle Charlie's gonna be like oh my god you're directing all the traffic on my way. <laughs> So slightly off subject, do we know if uh, Shep Philip Esteban won Chopped as he was on that yesterday? Oh, I didn't watch it. I, I don't know. I'll have to check his Instagram and see. Yeah, I, I, I don't know either. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. So everybody doesn't know. Um, here's the great hard-hitting information that we're giving you. We have no idea if he won Chopped. well on that note (laughs) that was hot plates thank you marie uh just let you know we put up a blog post on sandiegomagazine.com every week where we will link to all these stories that we've talked about if you want to suggest anything to us as far as you know restaurants or have any questions you can also reach out to us uh feel free to email us at happyhalfhour at sdmag.com or give us a call at 619-744-0535 and with that, um, I would love to, in, we, while he's been here with us the whole time, I'd love to formally introduce our guest. He is the one and only Tim Mays. If you've ever been to a show in San Diego, you, you have to have known the name. He uh, basically opened a legendary spot, the Casma, over 30 years ago. He got his start by actually handing out flyers for concerts and booking shows in the 80s. Then he went on to become a serial entrepreneur, opening Starlight Restaurant in Mission Hills, Vinyl Junkie Record Store, Krakatoa Coffee Shop in Golden Hill, and the River. Supper Club in La Mesa. Tim, thank you very much for joining us uh, formally. Oh, happy to be here. How much of your bio did we get right, Tim? Uh, Well, you forgot that I'm a part owner at Soda Bar. Oh, yeah. uh, Two and a half years ago. And Riviera, well, you got to go back pre-Riviera to Turf Club that Sam Shamus and Joe Austin and I opened in 98 when Golden Hill was still a a pretty gnarly place. So we opened that in 98. That lasted 10 years. Our landlord uh, kind of pulled the rug out from under us. And then we opened Riviera. We sold Riviera about five years ago. Mm -hmm. Because at that time we opened in La Mesa, it was just not, not quite where it needed to be to make that place work. So anyways, everything else was good. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's what I, that's what I love about your business um, history you know as you go into these places you, you're the canary in the coal mines you know I mean you've, you've gone into Golden Hill you know you went into La Mesa I mean I guess that's kind of and look at Starlight I mean Starlight what do you even call that what do you even call that part of town do you call it Middletown do you call, what, what is well it? it's kind of Middletown Mission Hills depending on okay. who you're asking we're part of the Mission Hills business district uh, we're at the bottom of that hill, by the, but but you know, technically on a map, it's Middletown. You yeah. know, back in the old old days, it was called Five Points because all those streets meet where India, Washington, and you know, Hancock and San Diego Avenue. Anyways, right. uh, 
Yeah, we'll call it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So wait, so Tim, what made you, if anybody knows Starlight, when we're talking about the, the remote, remoteness of it, it's on, you know, it's on India. That's India, right? Is that India Street? Yes, yeah. India. Yep. Okay, so that's India Street. I mean, it's in the middle of nowhere. We're next to a muffler shop and, you know, whatever. What made you see that spot? And I know it had been a nightclub before then, but what made you see that spot and be like, you know what? We're going to make people come here. Well, you know, it was a it was a lesbian bar going way way back, yeah. and it was uh, my partner Matt Hoyt is a commercial business broker, and he got wind that I had been looking to buy a bar at some point, just a not a bar with live music, and you know I I didn't really even think about food at the time, but I just wanted a place where I could open a cocktail lounge, and so Matt Hoyt alerted me to the fact that the the property was for sale. Mm-hmm. So he and I put together a proposal. We bought the property. I bought the property. And then with the idea, the, 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 the bar that was there was called Six Degrees. And they were doing no business at all. I mean, it was, it was a failing, failing enterprise. So we bought the property with the idea that we'd probably be able to buy them out and buy their license and redo the whole situation there, so, which took us a, about two years to put together a deal that they were happy with where we could buy them out. And, uh, you know, we just built it. And we, we, I had been up to uh, Portland and gone to the Doug Fur Lounge up there and also a, a, a bunch of other places there. And every little bar up there is required to serve food in Portland. And there was all these great little bars that were serving great food from these tiny kitchens. And the decor of the Doug Fur Lounge was kind of like North by Northwest, which is kind of prominently featured in what we did there. So we just decided we would put together a, a classic cocktail lounge with really good food. And that's what we did. And at the time, you got to look back, this was 2007. There was nothing else on the, on the scene then. I mean, do you remember the restaurant Modus? I was going to say Modus Lounge. That was that. That was the only other place in in that realm of restaurant type offering quality food and quality cocktails with a nice decor. Modus, we actually poached their chef uh, when we opened. He was a friend of ours, and he was unhappy there. And he he was our opening chef. He didn't last long. That's a whole other story. But Modus, and then Starlight, we opened, and then there was the Tractor Room opened right after, right right around the same yeah. time, maybe a little earlier. But there was no other really great dining rest destinations. And another thing we wanted to do was stay open late. Yeah. Back then, you couldn't get any, you couldn't eat anywhere past nine thirty. Yeah. So you know that was our original thing. We'll serve food till midnight and uh, two a.m. on the weekends, and and that's what we did. And uh, it, it it you know we're still there. It's been coming up on uh, thirteen years, and actually just past thirteen years. Oh boy, I lost track of time. Yeah, thirteen years. Yeah, you get like a grand poobah hat and a plaque and you're, with your name on it. You make it past 10 in the restaurant industry, man. Amazing, amazing. Yes, yes. Now, question who's for you. That? Oh, I'm so sorry. Go ahead, Dave. Go ahead. I was going to say, who's, whose idea was it for the bone marrow luge? We actually featured that in the magazine a little while ago. And that is my favorite like dining item to eat, basically, in all of town. Well, um, I love bone marrow and, and, you know, there's a lot of restaurants that do it. Uh, my personal favorite and probably shouldn't say this, but my personal favorite bone marrow presentation is at Romesco in Bonita. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. They serve it a different way. It's like a cross cut shank portion almost mm-hmm. on top of a sope. 
and it's it's amazing. But um, it's our, one of our chefs came up with it, you know, and it's uh, I've had similar presentations in other restaurants. Um, mm. Delicious stuff. The um, with the with the starlight was part of the idea because you had had the Casbah. Well, when did the Casbah open? Uh, 1989. 1989. All right. So, wow. I mean, Caswell, it obviously was an iconic place. I mean, it where like the White Stripes played, you know, I mean, where every band played, Smashing Pumpkins played there, whatever. Anyway, yeah, yeah. it really helped build the San Diego music scene. Was the idea with Starlight a little bit that, you know, your clientele had been around for a long time. They're in their thirties. A lot of friends I knew that were in the punk scene and everything else that were starting to have kids and like to go out to a nice meal. And you're, you're kind of like aging with your populace a little bit. Not that they were old. They were just like in their thirties. They had a job now. They had, you know, definitely, definitely myself included, you know, I mean, right. I, I love, I've, I've loved going to great restaurants for, for even back pre Casbah, but it was definitely like the clientele has gotten older, a little more sophisticated, um, a little more disposable income. Uh-huh. And uh, so that that's paid off. I mean, you know, any given night, not so much now, but back in the earlier days, when any any given night I was there, I would always run into people that I knew from the Casbah or people who were there having dinner before going to a show at the Casbah. You know, there was a lot of that. So, yeah, that was definitely a factor in the in the idea of what we wanted to do. When it comes to the Casbah, like uh... – do you have like any like top five favorite shows that you have booked there? Anything along those um, been well, to or see, like five moments? Of my head, off the top of my head, I'd say uh, one of my all-time favorites. I, I was not there at the original Casbah to see Nirvana. Otherwise, that mm-hmm. would probably be up in one of them. But I was not there for that. Um, I can say one of the earliest shows is uh, Jesus Lizard with John Spencer Blues Explosion as an opening band. That was at the original Casbah. <laughs> Um, R.L. Burnside, an old blues guy mm-hmm. uh, who played the Casbah twice back in the late 90s, early 2000s. That was pretty amazing. Um, Mudhoney, anytime they come through. Uh, the Damned a few years ago was pretty amazing. Um, there's so many, you know, and it's without having a list right in front of me, it's really hard. But those, those are some toppers right there. Um, I remember seeing a, a band called Gogo Bordello. Oh, and, yeah. Amazing. Oh, all right, you know, the Russian immigrants, they lived in refugee camps, came across it, this gypsy punk band, and they had these women that came out with these huge drums attached to the, to the front of them, banging them. I have never seen in the Casbah back then, there was a lot of hipsters who would just really sit around with their arms crossed. It was this, you know, like it was the way that they would just view music. They had to kind of huddle into themselves and appreciate it intellectually, but not let their, their bodies go. And when Gogo Bordello lit up that stage, I've never seen every single arm uncross and start stage diving. And it was a pandemonium. <laughs> Uh, I can remember walking into that show the first time we had them play there and they, one of those drums, a big bass drum, you know, probably 30 inches diameter. Someone was carrying it through the audience flat and the lead singer, Eugene was on the top of the drum singing out on the floor as they carried him through the crowd. I walked in and I'm like, Whoa, (laughs) like you said, it was completely just off the wall, off off the hook. It was nice. So amazing. I mean, with the Casbah too, let's move in. I mean, this is a restaurant podcast, but we, since we have Tim here, we have the ability to talk about this. Can we talk a little bit about, not to totally bring you down, but what the hell is going, what are we going to do with our live music industry? I mean, what's going on? Well, you know, I mean, 
I have no idea when we'll be able to open. So they, they've been talking about what phase one through phase four, as far as the economy coming back, we're in phase 10. You know, we're, we're not even on a chart yet because, you know, live music experience requires people to be close together in front of a stage, where, at least at our, at our spectrum where we're at, yeah. you know, packed in 200 people in a room with a band right in front of you. And, you know, when is that going to happen? Every, every tour that I had booked, every show with major touring bands has been pushed into 2021 now, March, wow. you know, beyond. And uh, actually the first probably first month after the shutdown was spent, I was working as much as I usually do, just moving shows around. And yeah. some of them have been moved from the to the fall first, then from the fall into the spring. But I, I anticipate when we are able to open, it'll be a reduced capacity. Mm-hmm. And what we're gonna try and do, or what, what we've been kind of working on is, okay, well, have to maintain distancing, so we'll set up tables on the floor with, you know, properly spaced out and we can probably accommodate 40 or 50 people that way in a club that holds 200. Um, um, would you, you ever, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I interrupted. <laughs> I was saying, okay. would you ever consider opening without actually having live music and just as a bar? Well, I'll get to that in a second because yeah. that's a, that's another part of the plan. But what we've been trying to put together is a virtual streaming capacity uh, where First, we can maybe virtually stream shows before we can even open with no audience and put them on a Twitch channel or YouTube channel or whatever, which we've, we've set up. Um, don't know how if we can monetize that really, but at least provide some entertainment and keep some people out there working. Um, when they allowed bars to reopen on June 8th, um, myself and a lot of my friends who own bars, the uh, decided we didn't want to jump right into the water on that either. It's much like the dine-in restaurant stuff. So we, we said, we'll wait and see. And of course, you know, we avoided having to shut back down. But part of the plan of the Casbah is when we can do that is we will open the back room, the Rasmataz room as a standalone bar. And we will use the back room and the patio and the front part of the club will just be completely shut so we use the patio we, we space out tables with stools and we have the patio in the back room and then the back bar open with some plexiglass nice plexiglass you know separating areas that need to be separated so we can still use them and that was that's kind of what we were working towards this month we've been doing a lot of painting and deep cleaning there and refurbishing and we were going to maybe try and do something by the end of July. So right now, you know, we're in no hurry, but that, that, that would be something we would do. I didn't want to open the front room as just a bar because that room with the stage there, it's, it's a live music venue. And I don't think that would, uh, would be a bummer. I think people would come originally just to support, but yeah, after yeah. a while it's like, oh, we're sitting there, they're looking at that empty stage. It would be a bummer. The back room, lends itself to this perfectly. We were doing a walkthrough. My wife and I went down there one evening just to look at the progress on what's been going on there with my, my uh, people, you know, doing all the work. And I was trying to figure out how can we reopen this just as a bar? We walked in the back and it's like, wow, this is perfect. So it's something we've been talking about doing a long time as a standalone bar. And I think we'll get be able to put it into, uh, into, into action here, maybe in August. 
Right. What about the idea of, and this sounds um, post-apocalyptic blade runnery slash that Tilda Swanson in the W Hotel. What about like totally enclosing that stage in the Casbah in plexiglass and having them play as if they are inside of a plexiglass cage? Well, that's, I, well, that you, sucks. That's not what we do. Yeah, it's just, it's, just, it's just like going back to Starlight of providing an experience. Yeah. And, you know, I had to ask myself, well, what, why do people come here? And it's because they want to come see live up close music. And yeah. I don't want to, there's nothing you can do to replace that. Yeah. You know, playing in plexi, sound issues, the, the, the novelty. It's, you know, the novelty would be interesting but yeah it's just not something i'll wait until we can do it in some sort of you know realistic situation even if it's lower capacity and uh, we'll make it work yeah I, i'd imagine you'd get some gg allen type shows but you'd also get some weirdness <laughs> yeah you know the um quick question for you do you, i mean just i mean a, a straight up hard question is hey is that your industry going to make it? I mean, is live music going to make it? I mean, I love your idea of becoming like a KCRW and having that stage and broadcasting some streaming, you know, um, and just to entertain people and continue the spirit of what you're doing. But are, are, are we going to lose? I mean, how are we going to lose a ton of our live music videos? Yeah, I, you know, my the thing I keep thinking about is how are these musicians who, you know, a lot of them don't make a lot of money. Yeah. And how are they going to survive? You know, I mean, and the clubs, there's, there's a whole uh, widespread uh, network of people that are all involved in the touring live music industry. Yeah. Um, not even the label side of it, just the whole live on the road side of it. That, you know, I mean, they're getting unemployment, I guess, because gig workers are able to get it. But I have no idea. I mean, we are, we are going to, be there. Soda Bar will be there. The some other. It's, it's really hard to say. You know, it's it's yeah. it's going to yeah. change a lot, and I think touring will be. Like I said, well, it's not going to happen until twenty twenty one March or April at the earliest. And you, you wonder know. what this means. my wife and I have been talking about. What, what, is that me? Do you hear that sound? Anybody? I heard that. I didn't know what it was though. Okay, maybe I just want to make I'm sure. Breaking it's up. Okay. I, Anyways, okay, I'll, I'll go again. My wife and I have been talking about what it's going to do to the quality of music too. You know, like you think about Tim and you and I have talked about Eddie Vedder. Eddie Vedder was in a, a, a band called Bad Radio way back in the day in San Diego, you know, a lead singer of Pearl Jam. And it was a terrible band, you know, it, but he was, he obviously made an amazing band after that. Um, but, you know, he was a grip. He would, he would, you know, carry people's equipment, you know, into other bands' equipment, into shows. And, you know, had he not been able to keep that job, like you're saying, Tim, at the, the concert industry stopped, had he not continued to keep keep that job and stay in the music industry, we may not have had that band. And I mean, right. I wonder what's going to happen. Are they all going to go indoors and be able to create magical, beautiful stuff because they're so isolated and everything else. And we're going to get a bunch of, you know, the cures and, you know, and really kind of like beautiful, emotional iron and wine music. Or, or are we going to lose a lot of, you know, creative people to this field because they're not going to be able to tour and get paid at your place? Well, I think, I think the people who are, there's, there's, couple reasons why people decide to form bands and go on the road and one of them is because they love music and they love what they do and they love creating other ones is people getting bands and think they're going to make it big which is a completely wrong reason yeah. you see i've seen yeah. a lot of both both over the years i think the people who are, are serious musicians and who really love it are 
you know, making music because they can right now more than ever because they're, they're not able to work. They're not, you know, they can't be on the road, which sucks, but they can, they can woodshed and, and create songs. And, you know, it's like, uh, I talked to Pat and Letty from the schizophonics quite a bit and they're married. So they're together. So they, are playing music all the time, you know, and yeah. I've, I've talked to a lot yeah. of musicians about, you know, just seeing what they're up to and, and people are eager to get back out and start playing. And the, like I said, the part that I don't understand is how people are making it financially, but uh, maybe, maybe a lot of them were able to get the unemployment benefits, which in this case is a good thing for them because they do not have the opportunity to make any money anywhere else. I'm hoping that the governments, uh, whether it be state, local or federal, uh, are going to come up with some funds for the entertainment industry, live music, arts, culture, so on and so forth. Um, you know, the, the, the city of San Diego and the county have both had some programs that were very limited funding. The federal government, there's a, a, an organization called the National Independent Venue Association, which probably has eight or 900 different venues around the country uh, as members. And they've been, uh, they hired a lobbyist to work Congress and try and make it, make them see that this is a vital part of the economy and the culture and the restaurants, obviously the same, same situation, which I, I know there's lobbying groups there as well. So I had nobody seen any results and given the current administration and the, the way the Senate runs, the, nobody's holding their breath. Right. But, right. Uh, you know, um, there are people out there working on these efforts. So fingers are crossed. Dave, am I, do you hear that one on my microphone? I, I just heard it now. It sounds yeah, like it's like it's got an echo that's it's kind of. I heard it sounded like a monster voice. Yeah, it sounded like a monster voice. I mean, I just my first click here, but it's not. Okay, it sounded it's not like my right vocals. Right <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, Tim, you bring up a good point. You know, it, it's interesting. I'm thank God we have the unemployment right now, and you know, and the stimulus package for musicians as well, because traditionally musicians that I knew um, made their money as a part-time bartender or a part-time restaurant person. You know, yeah. and now that's double hit. You know, I mean, they can't. Not only can they not make money touring and whatnot, but they they their restaurant job is probably gone or, or diminished or, you know, half or, you know, the tips aren't there, you know, so thank God we have the stimulus for that because you know, that's the only security blanket left for somebody who was working a restaurant job and a touring musician. I didn't even think yes. about that combination until now. Yeah. It's true. Well, uh, thank you so much, Tim. Uh, once again, we've been chatting with Tim Mays, owner of the Casbah. And uh, will you stick around and join us for our segment, two people for takeout? I will be here. Awesome. Right. Murray, why don't you kick it off? What do we, uh, what do we got? So my pick for the week is uh, Sabi Lee, uh, the famous Thai restaurant in Linda Vista. I, I absolutely love larb. I think it's the perfect summertime salad. If you've never had it, it's a chopped meat salad with cucumbers and veggies and cilantro and mint and fish sauce and lime and heat. Basically, it's just balanced and perfect and amazing. I like to get mine with duck. And for takeout, one thing that the restaurant did is they put pictures and their menu, um, they taped it to the window outside. So you can look and then decide what you want. And then you walk in and then you go out and you can wait outside or sit in your car and then they'll bring it out to you. So uh, Sabi Lee and Linda Vista. 
Awesome. What about you, Tim? Well, I want to make some larb now, but I, I, I like mine with pork. But uh, um, I think uh, we've gone to Bonaforchetta a couple times and gotten their pizza and salad and pasta to go. And that's amazing every time. Uh, I got to give a, a shout out though to Small Bar when they were doing takeout with the Sunday chicken fried chicken dinner, which was mm. what a great bargain and so good. Um, one other thing, there's a guy I know, uh, Kevin, who's manager at Luigi's, and he does a, a personal pizza thing uh, that he makes his own and he actually delivers them. And I've had those a couple times and those are pretty amazing as well. Luigi's a great old uh, Golden Hill institution too. Yeah, good. Too. Totally. Uh, I'm going to go with Beerfish in North Park for two reasons. One, number one, their fish and chip burrito is really delicious, and their sauces that go with it are are out of this world. But two, they actually have a fun gag that you can do as well. So, are you guys familiar with what icing is? No. I think so. It's icing you- is you basically get a Smirnoff ice and you hide it and then you give it to someone and then they have to like go and bend down on one knee and they have to pound it. But so they will package a Smirnoff ice in a to go <laughs> beer fish dish. And then, so you just present it like that and it has a sticker in there that says like, you've been iced by beer fish and stuff. So it's just kind of a fun gag. My stomach's hurting just thinking about it. Nor- mine ice. too. I'm going to stay away from that. Yeah. <laughs> Normally, Dave, I would give you so much crap for like, you know, for endorsing like excessive consumption of alcohol. But if there's any time in American history to excessively consume alcohol. It is right now. Go ahead. I really endorse that. All right. <laughs> you you might be having a to-go dish coming your way, Troy. <laughs> <laughs> and what about Troy? Last but not least, what do you got, Troy? Uh, so mine is is uh, the kebab shop. I just I was just talking to these guys the other day. You know, and, and these guys obviously they're a bigger chain. They're they're the family, an extended family of Af- Afghan first generation. Um, like his cousins and and brothers and and things like that, and they took this little shop downtown. You know, it was on uh, on an Eighth Street or I think it's Eight or Ninth um, and Market, and you know they've expanded it into like you know multiple multiple locations. You know, but just because that they've you know even though they've been able to grow it, which took a ton of work, um, you know they've been expanding. And right in the middle of expansion, this happens. It puts them in a really precarious situation, um, you know, because you're investing so much to grow your business. And if you, you know, if it falls apart right now, like they have often say with personal products, if you invent something and you get into Costco, sometimes that kills a, a um, you know, a business because they can't handle, you know, the, the demand of it, you know. So anyways, this is a really good locally based um, kebab and donor shop that is in, you know, needs some help, you know, and they have these donor fries, they have this lamb donor has been one of my favorite meal lunches in San Diego for years. They have this white garlic sauce that is absolutely delicious. They use really fresh vegetables. You know, they, the meat is just, you know, basted on that cone. So the fat runs down it and bastes every single piece. You get so much flavor. And then now they've just decided to put them on fries with the garlic sauce and the chili oil mm-hmm. and everything else. It's a, they're, they're like Middle Eastern Mediterranean riff on carne asada fries. I, I, if you if you can enjoy that, then possibly you know life isn't for you. Not at this current life, at least. Maybe that's <laughs> that a little harsh. Delicious. Maybe that's a little harsh, but it's it's absolutely delicious. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, Tim. I have one other random question that has really nothing to do with food or drink, but so Casbah is like one of the few venues in town that actually has a 
apartment building above it. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> so do you know who lives there? Do you guys, do they charge more for having that or? <laughs> no, we, we do not know who lives there. Um, there's four units directly above our building. Obviously it's the same landlord. Um, there's been people living there ever since we've been there. Uh, families, I've seen kids grow up there from when they were small up to, you know, teenagers and adults. Right now, um, I'm not sure what the rents are. They're not, they're not super crazy expensive, but they're, you know, they're in keeping with what you pay in the neighborhood for a, whatever, one or two bedroom. Uh, there was one time when a tenant moved in up there. And we've, we've got a clause in our lease that says stipulates that as long as the DB reading up taken in one of those apartments doesn't exceed a certain level, that noise complaints are not a valid uh, option for tenants Thank or the landlord. Um, we put the DB level very high because our landlords have no idea what a DB is. Um, <laughs> anyways, one, one tenant moved in at one point many, many years ago and, uh, you know, uh, we were out on our patio one afternoon doing some kind of maintenance and she leans out the window overlooking our patio and asks us if we could turn it down that night. <laughs> and we're like, uh, well, probably not. So we got a noise complaint uh, a couple days, a couple nights later, police showed up and, you know, I went out and talked to him. I'm like, hey, we've been here for 15 years or whatever, however long it was. They're like, I know, I know, but we have, we have to respond when we get a complaint. So you know, do what you can. So I called my landlord the next day and I said, hey, the tenant up there called in a noise complaint on us. And she got evicted uh, the next week. And we had to move out. <laughs> so, yeah. But the hammer of, of punk rock. That's right. All of the years we've been there, there's only been one tenant who actually was young who actually wanted to live there so he could come to the Caswell more frequently. Now, and, do you uh, give them discounts if they live upstairs? Yeah, we put them to work. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That has been uh, San Diego Magazine Happy Half Hour. Once again, if you have any questions, feel free to give us a call at 619-744-0535 or email us at happyhalfhour at sdmag.com. I just want to thank Tim. Tim, you have done created so much culture in this town for decades, man. And I know it always, hasn't always been easy and right now is not easy, but my life has been incredibly enriched by what you brought to the Casbah, what you did with Starlight, what you did with this Turp Tough the uh, Turf Supper Club, which is the first place and only place I ever brought Guy Fieri, by the way, when he came to San Diego. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. It's funny because we, we had, when we were struggling out of Riviera, we really wanted him to come out there oh. and do a segment there, which we thought would have been perfect, you know? He, but, loved, uh, oh well. he, he loved the turf. He would have loved Riviera. I'm sure too. he did. I'm sure but, he did. Yeah, but thank yeah. you so much. You have done, I mean, I swear to God, I know that we have an official Tim Mays Day in San Diego, don't we? Well, it's an official Casbah day. Um, okay. I think January 14th or 15th. I can't remember. I'd have to go look at my plaque and see which day it is. <laughs> but, yeah. but I, I will make one of my personal life an official Tim Mays day. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Troy, for all your support. Definitely. Appreciate playing it. the Casbah was actually my number one bucket list item ever in San Diego. And so when I got to play it, I was like, lividly, like so happy. Couldn't believe it. And also, I need, uh, it's called Weight of the Sun. Okay, I, I yeah. remember the name. And then also you uh, were put on a show at the observatory, which allowed me to play with my all-time favorite band. <laughs> which, is? which show was that? Uh, Glassjaw. Okay, yeah, yep. yeah. But so I thank you for that. You've 
helped so many of my bucket lists. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Nice meeting you. Yeah, and Marie, treasure. when she played one yes. one woman punk rock at your club, I remember that, Marie. I remember <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a big night. That was a big night. <laughs> awesome. All right, you guys. Thank, thank you, you all. So much. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.